Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Let's Get Fiscal, a money podcast from 7 News. I'm Damien, the low-yield cash savings account of the finance world, joined by the queen of the trading floor, Gemma Acton. Hello, Gemma. Hello to you, Damien. What a long week we've had. Uh, It has been an epic week. You've been at Amazon. You've been all over the place. We've got the US going nuts in the finance world. Lots to talk about today. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's it's certainly been a busy week, um, both economically and and on the share market as well. Um, It all triggered uh, a week ago, last Friday, when we had the inflation figures out of the US. Uh, US stocks obviously took a bath that afternoon heading into the weekend. But then here in Australia, we were somewhat saved because we had Monday as a public holiday. So we weren't hit by that same selling wave we got in the US on Friday. And then on Monday, it all came crashing down on us on Tuesday when we had (laughs) the worst trading day for uh, more than two years, actually. Um, But we need to be really careful to separate what's happening with the economy from what's happening with the share market. They can easily be conflated. And so what we thought we'd do today is um, chat to two experts, um, one about what's happening with the economy, both here in Australia and around the world, and then secondly, what that means for the share market and also for our super savings. All right, plenty to unpack today. Who's our first guest, Gemma? Our first guest today is the Chief Economist from Beta Shares, David Bassanese. David, thanks so much for joining us today. Great to be with you. Yeah, no, we've been busy, but I'm sure you've been absolutely flat out as well. It's at times like these that uh, people really turn to, to people like you for, for the expertise. Well, I'll, I'll try my best to um, uh, let, you, let you know how I'm seeing the economy at the moment. Yeah. Better you than me, David. Yeah. Better you than well, me. Um, now that um, we've set our expectations, I, I think where we start is people keep on saying, is there going to be a recession? And interestingly, if you look at Google Trends, people searching for the word recession has gone through the roof uh, in the last few weeks. The technical version of recession, about two quarters of negative growth, doesn't really mean that much to people. I think it's more about, is their standard of living going to go backwards? But would you mind just talking to us about what the chance is of dropping into a recession here in Australia and what that could mean for people? Look, there is a risk of recession in the sense that, you know, we do have a very, at the moment, you know, we have a very, you know, strong economy. It's bouncing back from the COVID lockdowns. You know, consumer spending, as you pointed out, is very strong. The housing sector has been very strong. So everything is, is, is going well. But, you know, we do have inflation that's picked up a, a, a partly because of global factors, um, uh, because demand is strong around the world, also because, you um, because of you know domestic factors, just the strength of uh, of spending, so that the strength of the economy has helped pick, uh, lead to some pickup in inflation. Uh, as a result, the central bank here, the Reserve Bank, as you pointed out, is now aggressively you know raising rates, pretty aggressively by its own standards, and so it's uh, it, it, I get look, it doesn't want to cause a recession, but it does want to moderate demand to some extent and try to get inflation uh, in check. Now, I guess the only risk is that if inflation proves a bit more stubborn, stubbornly high, then, you know, they may need to go harder on, on, on interest rates, which in turn, you know, uh, leads to the risk on the economy. So 
whether we do or, or don't go into recession ultimately depends on how quickly we can get inflation down over the next uh, over the next year. Now, some of that some of that pressure should moderate. You know, we've got very high oil prices, very high food prices globally, partly due to the war uh, between Russia and Ukraine. You know, we have to see how that plays out. But uh, at the moment, things look good. But uh, the RBA does want things to moderate somewhat, but but ideally without without causing a hard landing in the economy. Now, David, we know during the pandemic, a lot of people, uh, they sat on their savings, they got ahead in their mortgages, uh, which is probably help, helping to drive this inflation now. How much is the RBA going to have to raise interest rates to sort of level that out? Yeah, look, it's a, I think what the RBA is doing now is not... I don't see them raising rates a lot higher than we thought maybe a few months ago. Um, but what I do see them doing is bringing, you know, doing it more quickly. So great... It, 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 we used to, you know, the RBA typically moves in, say, quarter point moves, like 25, you know, 0.25% uh, each time it, it decides to raise rates, whereas last time it went by uh, twice that, by 50 points, and uh, it's likely to do that again at the next meeting as well. So that's a full 1%, you know, just within a couple of months. And I think the hope being that that will start to moderate demand, lead to a de- decline in inflation expectations quite quickly, and as a result, they won't need to raise rates, you know, uh, too far to, to get the impact that they want. Now, bottom line is the RBA thinks that the so-called neutral rate or the rate that, that you know, it, it is a normal long-run level is around about 2.5%. So we're not quite there yet. Um, we need, a, you know, another, you know, 1, one to 1.5% one to, to get up to that level. So that's neutral. Uh, so my expectation, I actually don't think they'll get to two and a half. I actually think probably another uh, getting up to two might be enough, given the, the amount of debt and leverage in the economy. I think you know households will respond fairly quickly to that right, uh, increase in rates. So I think two should be enough. Uh, the markets, but incidentally, are pricing in a lot more, and that's uh, where it's um, a, bit, a bit interesting at the moment from a financial point of view. They think the rate could get up to three and a half, if not four percent. So very, very aggressive expectations in the in the bond market um, but but more than what most economists myself including think uh, will will happen goodness me that's a big leap from where we are now especially <laughs> when you add on the anything else that comes with a with a variable mortgage on top of that david whether we go into a recession or not let's talk about how prepared the australian consumer is for what's ahead needless to say whether it gets to two and a half percent or not there will be several more interest rate rises ahead as you said we have energy price inflation food inflation how well prepared are aussies for what's coming look uh the rba's done a lot of work on this uh in terms of you know debt you know people talk about very high household debt in australia it's true by global standards we have high household debt that's because you know house prices uh, here are very high which in turn is because we're very urbanized you know a lot of us live in cities uh, we're very concentrated in the in, in uh, and the, the how we live uh, and that that sort of explains those high house prices and as a result high uh, debt to income so that's sort of you know manageable in 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 that sense but if you look at it you know, many households, uh, as you pointed out, are well ahead on their mortgage repayments. Um, there's something like maybe one in five households with a mortgage that, that face maybe more than a 30% increase in their mortgage repayments if the RBA were to raise rates by 200 points, which is, I think, the you know, on my expectations, that's what they would do. So we're looking at maybe, you know, one, one, one in five households with a mortgage are going to uh, bear uh, considerable pain, but in the main, and this is the message from the you know, the RBA and the government, 
um, from their analysis is that most households should be able to weather that amount of mortgage uh, increase, you know, not comfortably, but uh, but but not 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 to an extent that they'll you know be forced to sell their home, for example, or, or anything like that, um, or, or face a, ma- a massive you know hit to their 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 ability to spend on other on other areas um, of the budget, you know, the groceries and whatnot. So that's the assessment, uh, but of course it depends on how far interest rates ultimately rise. But it, it should, and also point out that I mean, you know, most people that do get a mortgage are supposed to be able to uh, afford an increase in rates of one to two percent. There's a so-called buffer rule applied when banks and other, you know, lending lenders uh, provide mortgages. So in theory, at least, most households should be able to weather a one to two percent increase in mortgage rates. If they couldn't, if their finances couldn't allow for that. Then you know they probably shouldn't have got be, uh, got a mortgage in the first place, or they, they shouldn't have been able to get a mortgage. So um, that's just also one thing to keep in mind. So it sounds as though people should be okay when it comes to affording the basics on the whole. What about discretionary spend? Like, I just think, for instance, last night we went to Vivid Sydney, and instead of going to a nice restaurant, we just stopped and, and got takeaway falafel from one of the stalls just because we were a bit more conscious of <laughs> of yeah. you know spending a hundred dollars or so on, on a on a meal just on a random thursday night for no reason um do you think discretionary spend is going to take a hit and if so what does that mean for cafes and restaurants and other small businesses especially after covid yeah look there's there's two forces at play there i guess look again uh, the RBA would like inflate, uh, consumer spending to moderate somewhat. It's actually been very, very strong, you know, and partly that's a rebound from COVID. You know, so we've been on and off lockdown uh, for a couple of years. Um, now the sort of um, the, the shackles have been lifted, and we can all go out and spend. And so with that that frantic pace of consumer spending is contributing to the upwards upward pressure on inflation. So the RBA does want that to moderate somewhat. And so again, that's that's not something to be fearful of. It's something you know that the RBA is actually trying to uh, engineer it, again with a view to keep inflation uh, to get it get it down. And we are also seeing that consumers, you know, we just got a West. Uh, there's a measure of consumer sentiment that comes out monthly, and that's already started to take a hit. Uh, we're seeing auction clearance rates. People in Sydney would know a lot about that in Melbourne, but auction clearance rates are a very a timely indicator of sentiment and we've seen those uh, take a hit in the last few weeks so people aren't as frantically you know bidding for for properties as they as they used to on weekends so we're already starting to see consumers pull in the pull in their horns so to speak and um, uh, and that will happen but again offsetting that is the fact that you know uh, retail uh, restaurants and cafes are enjoying that bounce back from the COVID lockdown so I think one will offset the other um, uh, just to sort of keep things in check. So again, I'm not anticipating a major slowdown, but uh, just sort of take take some of the froth off the top, so to speak. Will the US escape a recession as well? Look, I'm less optimistic about the US. Uh, they've got a bigger inflation problem. Headline inflation in the US is running at almost 9%. I mean, the RBA here says it thinks it will get to 7 uh, possibly a bit more. But Demand in the U.S. is 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 very strong. Wages growth, importantly, a big difference between Australia and the U.S. is that wages growth in the U.S. is is running at very strong levels already. Uh, in Australia, at least according to the official numbers, it's still relatively benign. So we've got the the federal, the central bank of the U.S. this week, you know, raised rates by 0.75 percent, so three quarters of a percentage point, all in one hit. Uh, so it's doing things very aggressively, and I actually think the U.S. 
on a balance of probabilities, we'll, we'll face a recession over the next 12 months. In fact, I put out a note to that effect yesterday. So I do think the US is facing recession, uh, which is going to make things a little bit, uh, you know, not, not be... It's going to add to the slowdown in, the US, uh, in Australia. But again, I think we won't need to be as aggressive on interest rates as the Fed. And as a result, we won't need to, you know, hopefully, you know, face the same sort of negative economic consequences. Um, I know Joe Biden cops a lot of flack uh, over this, but is there much that he can do from a political standpoint and as president to do much about inflation or is it sort of out of his hands? Look, in a way, the you know, people, I mean, I hate to say it, but, you know, uh, the, the Biden is partly responsible for the inflation in, in in the sense that they overly stimulated the economy. I mean, we had, they had a, the last, they had three massive stimulus uh, packages in the US. The last one hit the economy early last year, just as it was rebounding from COVID. They didn't need to do that package, but he promised it in the campaign and they went ahead with it. And it basically put petrol on the flames of, of the US consumer spending. So, and as a result, pushed up inflation. So he was like, in a way, killing the economy with kindness, as I, as I say, they, they overly stimulated. So he is responsible in that sense. Um, look, there's not much you can do at the moment. Basically, the US problem is is demand stronger than supply and 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 you think about the oil market globally oil prices are high because global demand for oil is strong yes there's been limitations on supply from russia because of the the sanctions so people don't want to use russian oil so they're forced to use other oil which is increasing demand uh for for global oil but but ultimately you know demand is very strong um as as again in europe and the us they're all looking to um uh, start driving again, you know, get back on the road, take holidays, which is pushing up demand for fuel. So there's not much you can do about that. I mean, the energy companies are being asked to try to increase production, but, you know, they can't increase production quickly. You, you just can't turn to turn things around quickly. And plus, the energy companies have this um, awkward situation where, yes, we want your oil today, but we don't want it in three to five years' time because we all want to transition to something else. So the oil companies are saying, well, you know, how can you expect us to invest billions in new capacity when, you know, you don't really want it to be around for all that long? We're just this temporary quick fix. And uh, and as a result, you know, you're seeing even local, you know, U.S. producers uh, a bit reticent to uh, increase oil production. That's the, the shale, so-called shale oil producers in the U.S., um, so, yeah, bottom line, there's not much he can do now because he's kind of let the genie out of the bottle. Barring a massive fiscal, you know, package of, of, uh, of tightening, which, you know, you wouldn't get through the Congress anyway, um, you basically have to leave it to the US Central Bank, the Federal Reserve, to, to, to help slow the economy. Oh, dear. So, <laughs> unfortunately for the US. Yeah. But um, clearly, as the US is the world's largest economy, it does have ripple effects through to us here in Australia. Hmm. Could you just explain to us, David, the impact of a severe slowdown or a recession in the US and why that would impact the average Australian? Look, it will impact... Uh, of it, yeah, as you point out, the US is the biggest economy in the world. It's roughly now around about you know 20% of global GDP. But, I mean, it's like something like 50%, 60% of, of uh, global equity... You know, the, the US equity market is about 60% of the global equity market by ma market capitalisation, so it's very huge. But what tends to happen is when the US goes into recession, that businesses cut back on investment spending... Uh, and that, and many companies are global, so they cut back on investment spending in, in all corners of the world. So you will typically see business investment uh, in Australia start to weaken. So that's the linkage here. 
and just you know just uh, uh, you know, US demand you know at a, I guess a more marginal level demand for our imports would would fall so we'd be exporting less to the US so there are you know ve- so again it's not necessarily uh, a fait accompli if the US goes into recession we will uh, I think our equity market unfortunately will be a bit more uh, correlated so if the US market continues to weaken I think as we're seeing you know, of late, our market is starting to weaken in sympathy as well. So there definitely would be stronger linkages to the equity market uh, and some linkages through to the economy through things like business investment uh, uh, and exports. It, one of the bright spots in our economy for quite a while now has been the labour market. Incredible uh, unemployment figures, you know, sub 4%. But we have had a situation where our borders have been closed for the last couple of years, and this is a, an economy that's been very heavily dependent on a migrant workforce for a long time. Can we expect the, the labour market rosiness to continue or once migration picks up again, will that you know, ha- have an impact on, on, on the labour market? Look, I think, you know, one of the reasons that unemployment has got so low so quickly, as you point out, is that the borders have been closed. So we haven't, um, we haven't been able to tap international you know, workers in the way we, we've had in the past. So demand has rebounded from COVID and uh, all that demand has had to be met by you know, local workers. And so the unemployment rates tightened up quite quickly. But actually going forward, you know, having more international um, workers uh, will help the economy keep growing at the moment, particularly given, as you point out, the unemployment rate is so low, wages... Again, official measures of wages are still contained, but the Reserve Bank is hearing from businesses that they're facing a lot of labour shortages, they're having to jack up wages, uh, which is adding to cost and inflationary pressure. So in a way, getting workers back, opening the borders, it will help moderate inflation and keep the economy growing. So I I don't think it's something to be feared. Um, I think it's particularly given, you know, the, the, the very good bounce back we've already had for the economy. But Net net, you know, at the margin, it will dampen the the you know pressure on wages, which again, ultimately, I think is 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 probably going to be a good thing because if if international migrants don't dampen the pressure on wages, the RBA will by jacking up rates. And one way or the other, you know, it's not going to happen. Fair enough. Uh, you know, the the labour shortage is extraordinary. Uh, we went on holiday to Queensland. Every single cafe and restaurant had signs up in the window saying we need staff. We have not been able to get a cleaner at our place for months and months and months. Um, we've got a lot of hotels in our area and they said, sorry, we're just completely taken by the hotels. We have absolutely no space in, in the schedule. It's just a, wow. a problem. Our childcare centre where our daughter goes, uh, nothing. Like they, they're losing people every day and just cannot get new staff. So, no, certainly I'm absolutely right to, to, to welcome more, more people in. Um, David, one more question for you. It's, it sounds as though you um, are reasonably confident that the Reserve Bank will be able to manage us through uh, the slowdown here and get interest rates back up to the neutral level without uh, accidentally sending us into a recession or some sort of a crash. How much credibility though does the RBA have given that they've changed their messages a lot recently? You know, they've told us they've underestimated inflation. They had told us you know, seven months ago that interest rates will probably be on hold until 2024. There's a lot of very fast turnarounds in what they're saying. Yeah, it, it, it is true. The RBA's sort of credibility has been a bit um, bit tested of late. I mean, look, it goes back a little... back A few years ago, central banks weren't ever as open as they have been. I mean, they used to be quite... Um, 
guarded in what they would say about the future because they didn't want to like basically let people know that they didn't have a very good idea about what the future looked like. I mean, they didn't want to reveal their ignorance, essentially. Uh, but there has been a policy change at central banks in recent years to give what's called forward guidance. I don't want to get technical, but they basically try to guide the markets by saying, we think interest rates are going to go here over the next year. We think inflation is going to do this. So they've been providing all these forecasts. They've been giving a lot more information than they have done previously. But as a result, uh, it's just shown the, you know, us that they don't have any greater insight in terms of the outlook that we do. So things have just changed around. Not helped, but of course, by COVID, by the war in Ukraine. So it's been a lot of shocks that have, that have knocked everyone's forecasts around. So their credibility has been hurt because they've tried to be transparent um, at a time when there's been a lot of uncertainty, a lot of economic shocks that one couldn't foresee. So. Um, end of the day, I mean, I think, you know, that they're, they're saying, so you've got to basically, I think the lesson to, for all of us here is you've got to take what the RBA says with a grain of salt, just because they say at the moment they think they're going to do a certain thing, you know, raise rates to 2.5%. Um, by, by no means is that etched in stone. If the economic situation changes, they will do less or do more than that. Um, so I think, yeah, we, we can't, they're trying to guide us, but you, you can't, you can't uh, rely on, on that because uh, it can change as the, as the economic outlook changes. Uh, great, David. Thank you so much. So um, I think what we're saying here is don't panic anybody. Um, things will probably be tough for a little bit ahead in terms of uh, inflation set to continue for a while. But uh, have some confidence uh, in the RBA who will do the right thing uh, without paying too much regard to all of their forecasts. Um, and just make sure that you as an individual have a good control on your own personal finances and you're, you don't overextend yourself too much. That, that's about right. I mean, we're going through a, you know, a tricky period ahead, but um, again, I think the, um, the, the underlying momentum of the economy, the fundamentals are still pretty good and um, provided inflation can come down um, and RBA you know, will just need to moderate growth and not send it into a recession, unlike, say, the, you know, the situation in the United States. All right, don't hit the panic button yet. Mm. David, thank you so much for your time. No worries. Great to be with you both. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So that's the overall economy, but what about the share market? So many of us rely on it, especially for our superannuation, Gemma. Yes, yeah, so we knew who to come to to talk to about this, someone who's uh, deep in the weeds of it every single day and uh, has a lot to do with super balances as well. It's the founder and chief executive of Stock Spot, Chris Brackey. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? Uh, very well. Um, been, a, been a bumpy week for you. Yeah, it has been. I mean, our, our investors are a little bit nervous at the moment. They've seen markets um, fall, you know, broadly 10 to 15 percent and in some markets even more. And so um, fortunately, we've educated them to hang tight and they've seen it all before. I mean, markets fell 35 percent when COVID hit and a lot more in the financial crisis. And always the best strategy is just to stay diversified, you know, stay invested and, and not pay too much attention to the headlines. 
Chris, could you talk us through what's been happening for the last couple of weeks? Um, this week has been a very messy one for the ASX 200. I think we've had five sessions in a row now which have finished lower and and quite a lot of money shaved off. Um, what, what's triggered the, the panic now? Because inflation's been with us for a little bit now and, and interest rate rises have been happening for about two months. Yeah, that's right. I think the nerves have really come about because of the persistence of inflation. So there was some beliefs out there a few months ago that inflation was temporary and that it would calm down. But what we're seeing in Australia and the US and other markets is that that's not happening. The the energy impact is still keeping inflation high, the supply chain disruptions in China, and just the strong employment market here as well, which we saw again yesterday. And so if inflation continues to stay high, what it means is that central banks are going to be forced to raise interest rates both faster and higher than people expected, and, and higher interest rates generally isn't good for asset prices. And, and so people are repricing what they're prepared to pay for shares. Um, you know, I think people will also need to reprice what they're prepared to pay for property on the basis that now interest rates are expected to be well over three and a half percent by the end of the year and, and close to four percent in a couple of years time. Yeah, these figures are just staggering, aren't they, when we, um, we've been operating on a system of close to zero official interest rates for so long. But then when we look at long, longer term context, you know, interest rates are up around 20 percent for for, for, for a very long time. So why are we finding it so hard to adjust to uh, even interest rates of, of less than 1% still? Well, I think as interest rates have fallen and, and it's been a structural trend for the last 30 years or so, I mean, I, I haven't sort of, I can't remember a period of 20% interest rates. I know my dad's told me about, about that sort of period. I can remember 5 or 10% when he was refinancing back in the 90s. But I think a lot of people haven't lived through that sort of environment. And also, um, as interest rates have fallen, more and more leverage has been added to the system. So people have borrowed more. And unfortunately, as people have borrowed more with lower interest rates, the impact of that is going to be a lot larger when rates rise. And so, um, you know, even rates r rising from an interest rates for mortgages have been something like 2% for a lot of people. Now the market is basically pricing that there'll be 6% in, in a year and a half's time. That means people are paying triple on their mortgages and that money's got to come from somewhere. They've either got to get big pay rises to be able to pay for it, or they've got to cut back on spending in other places. And I think that's what investors are nervous about. You know, where are they going to cut back? Um, and that's why sectors like consumer discretionary have been hit so hard, because the first place people cut back is spending at the, at the shops. That was my next question. What's been walloped? We've seen um, some big names taking a really bad bath in the last couple of weeks, uh, but also some sectors, some industries overall have been hit pretty badly. Well, tech has really sort of led the downturn. So tech was the sector that did really well out of the COVID crisis because everyone had to work from home. Um, you know, people were spending online. So online shopping, you know, boomed. And just generally the tech sector did well because with lower interest rates, um, sectors that have high growth tend to do well because all of those future cash flows that they're going to earn in the future because of their high growth, um, you know, are worth a lot today. The problem with higher interest rates for a sector that's growing very fast is that people only really care about the cash flows and the profits they're making today. And the cash flows in the future aren't really worth a lot because they're going to be eroded by inflation. And interest rates expectations have increased so fast now that a lot of unprofitable tech companies or, or tech companies without a lot of profits have been decimated because nobody's prepared to give them credit for profits in the future. And we've seen that in Australia in sectors like buy now, pay later. And for a period, um, stocks in that sector were the most traded on a lot of trading platforms. Um, they've now fallen over 90%, which is pretty phenomenal. 
Yeah, it's it's absolutely terrible. And um, I mean, for anyone who invested in it, but as you say, like it was something that some people probably saw coming. I think you you wrote or you did a video a year ago about why you shouldn't buy Zip stock. So you're probably not surprised to see that that share price is created by around ninety percent. Yeah, and it's I mean, Gemma, it's not specifically Zip. Um, I, you know, we always get concerned and, and try and warn our clients whenever we see a lot of hype or interest in a particular sector because. T- it doesn't tend to last and usually when everyone's excited about something is when everyone already owns it and even if the actual story is good long term and maybe buy now pay later will still be a good long term story if there's no incremental buyer left to buy those stocks the prices aren't going up and and so we've seen that in quite a few sectors over the last year you know tech um, you know other other sort of more niche areas of tech like cryptocurrency have fallen something like 80% in a lot of cases and there's a cryptocurrency ETF actually that's fallen 80% since it listed last year. That's why we, I mean we're always um, you know trying to educate our clients to just stay away from all of these trendy sexy sectors and just stay diversified and and you asked about the sectors that have done well well I mean one of them is consumer staples because you know companies like Woolies, um, are able to continue to pass on price increases because people still need their groceries. And so um, sectors like groceries and also energy have done quite well. They definitely weren't sexy sectors a couple of years ago. No one wanted to touch energy and, and Woolies was hardly an exciting company. But now it's all of those defensive companies that people are happy that they still own in their portfolios. Okay, so be boring, not sexy. It's, 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 the message it's my here. motto. <laughs> I live by it. <laughs> a bit dull for a Friday, yeah. Friday but, but we'll go well, with it. <laughs> Yeah, our mantra and our slogan is boring is brilliant. And, and really, we think of investing, it should be like watching grass grow. And if you're feeling excited about the share market, then you're doing something wrong. <laughs> yeah. So basically, it's not gambling, which unfortunately, I think when um, a lot of people were quite cashed up during COVID with, with stimulus payments, uh, a lot of people did see it as an opportunity to take a bit of a punt on, on stocks that, that they thought were exciting and sexy. Yeah, that's right. And I think there's, I think with a lot of first-time investors, there's, there is a bit of confusion about what is the difference between speculation or gambling and investing. I mean, it, a part of it, in my mind, comes to how diversified you are. If you're only buying a couple of things, almost always it's speculation. But also it comes down to your time horizon. And, and so a lot of people that were speculating were hoping for quick profits. And, and we had to turn away a lot of clients that said, you know, I want to invest for three months or six months. And we just have to say, sorry, it's just not an appropriate time horizon because over three months or six months, it's really a toss of the coin where the markets will be up or down. And you need at least three to five years to have a high level of confidence that you're going to make money in the share market. So um, really tempering people's expectations around, you know, quick wins is, is something that, you know, we found we had to do. And, and now we're having to do the opposite is calm people's nerves you know, because although we don't have clients that have lost 90% in cryptocurrency, they might have be down 5 or 10% in the last few weeks. Um, you know, we really have to explain to them that investing over the next five years, which is their plan, you know, they shouldn't really be concerned about market bumps that are 5 or 10%. I'd be interested to get your take on what's happening to the banks at the moment. A lot of people are invested in the big four banks here in Australia. Uh, And generally, if you go back to economic textbooks, the theory is that bank shares should do well, all else equal, when interest rates rise, given that they can improve their profit margins. We're not seeing that at the moment. I think the banking index here has sold off by around 13 or 14% just in the last sort of eight days or so. Um, What's happening to the banks? Why, Why are they losing out as well? No, that's right. So, yeah, typically banks and insurers do well out of a rising um, interest rate curve because they tend to borrow in the short end. Um, so they borrow in from people who's putting deposits down and then they lend in the long end in mortgages and then they make the margin. Um, so 
that's why up until about a week or two ago, banks were actually doing quite well because um, investors were thinking, okay, the margins are going to improve. You know, that's flipped now on the view that higher interest rates may actually harm the economy and banks are quite exposed to the household sector. So people's ability to um, pay off their mortgage, for instance, um, is a huge exposure for banks. And I think now um, the market is, is worried that although the bank margins might be helped by higher interest rates, that will be completely crushed by a household sector that's under a lot of duress due to higher interest rates. And so I think markets are a bit confused about banks at the moment. And it's a question of, you know, if the RBA is forced to raise interest rates harder and faster than people anticipate to really keep inflation under control and, and to, you know, really uh, help to relieve a very tight jobs market that actually could harm the economy. And, and that in the short term, at least, isn't good for any companies. Getting a bit selfish now, uh, for someone who's not an investor like me per se, but relies on, you know, the stock market for super and all that sort of thing, should we be worried about our money for the future or just ride it out for now and not get too concerned? Look, I think if you're um, 85 or 90 years old and you've got your last little skerrick of super that you need to withdraw in the, in the next three years, yes, you should probably be worried. But if you're in that sort of basket, you probably shouldn't have had all of your super invested in shares right now anyway. For everyone else, I mean, even if you're 60, you've got you know, 20, 30, 40 years ahead of you, um, you really don't need to worry about short-term dips. And actually, for someone that's got a longer time horizon, someone in their 20s, 30s or 40s, you should be celebrating when the market falls because it means that your super contributions that your employer is making or that you're making yourself are able to buy shares at lower prices. So, you know, think of it like a sale at, at you know, a sale at your favorite shop. When you see a 20% off sale, you don't run in the other direction. You run towards it and, and you go and buy more. And really the share market at the moment's at a 15% off sale um, for anyone that, you know, wants shares over the long run. And that should be anyone in their super. Um, that should be, a, you know, it should be seen as a positive. Well, Chris, not to give away your secret sauce, but what are you snapping up at the moment in this 20% off sale? <laughs> well, I mean, everything, Gemma. So when clients invest with us, we um, spread it across a whole bunch of different assets. So some Australian shares, which are down, you know, now close to 15%, global shares, which are down close to 20%, emerging market shares, which are down 15% or so this year. Bonds are, are the big one that's had the biggest move in, in, you know, close to 80 years this year, down 15% or so since the start of this year. If interest rates don't rise to 4% as people expecting, um, or as the market's expecting now, actually bonds will do quite well as an asset class. So all of them, um, the only piece of our portfolio that's actually done very well this year is gold. Um, and gold acts as a bit of a proxy for cash. It, it sort of um, does well when markets are volatile and it's one that's it's a bit of a controversial investment, but we have 15% of all of our portfolios allocated to it. What I think will, will probably happen as, as um, things unfold over the next year is that people will continue to be nervous about bond markets and actually gold will be one of the biggest beneficiaries. Um, and, and so I, I would expect to see a lot more people over the next few years investing in gold, similar to the mid-1970s where share markets and bond markets didn't do well, but actually gold um, did exceptionally well. Chris, you said we're down around 15% so far for Aussie shares. Are we through this yet or should we brace ourselves for, for more, more falls to come? Well, yeah, that's, a, I mean, it's a million dollar question. And, and, and unfortunately, both the amateurs and 
professionals have no idea where the bottom is, as, as was proven in the COVID crisis. And I remember very clearly doing a podcast with a professional fund manager, you know, right around the lows of March 2020. And, and that person's comment was, you know, we're not going to be buying shares until the economy turns around. You know, unfortunately, the problem with that is that um, the market is usually six or 12 months ahead of the economy. And if you're waiting for the economy to turn around, you're probably going to have to buy the market, you know, 20, 30, 40% higher. And, and to give you an example, Gemma, there's been 12 um, recessions in the US since World War II. Um, and actually, during the recession, the share market has risen in six of those 12. And so the market is pretty good at uh, sniffing out a recession. Um, the average fall um, in, in anticipation of a recession in the U.S. has been 24%, and it's already fallen now 23% as of last night. And so um, where it goes from here is always very difficult to estimate in the short term, which is why you know, we think it's a, it's a fool's errand to try and time the market and work out when to get in and out. Um, because even if you can correctly predict that there's going to be a recession, it doesn't mean that you can correctly predict where the share market's going to go. Uh, Chris, we, we did tell you this is going to be a conversation about the share market, but it's impossible to get through any conversation in Australia without talking about the property market a little bit. And <laughs> I've never met an Australian who doesn't have an opinion on on where it's going. So uh, what what do you think is going to happen, uh, given your forecasts for, for interest rates at, um, and, and the broader economy? Well, yeah, to be clear, I don't have any forecasts about interest rates. I, um, I'm, a, I'm a happy observer and, and part of our business philosophy is not to predict anything. We try and prepare for all scenarios and not predict because we think prediction is, is actually quite dangerous as an investor. You know, property is an interesting one. If you have a look at listed property, Gemma, it's already fallen by 20% and that's, you know, sophisticated investors basically repricing listed property assets based on a higher interest rate environment. What tends to happen is in residential property markets are a little bit slower to um, to absorb that information. Um, but you know the way I sort of uh, would think about it is that um, I mean I've, I'm looking at the moment for it to move into a different rental property in Sydney and looking at the value of properties versus what we have to pay in rent at the moment. It's around 2.3 percent of the actual asset value in a, in an annual rental yield. And I'm thinking that's a fantastic amount to pay for use of that asset at the moment because in about a year's time, interest rates are going to be 4% and any asset owner would be crazy where you can get a risk-free rate of 4% to accept a 2.3% yield on a property. So in my mind, one of two things needs to happen and maybe it's a combination of the both of them is that either rents need to rise astronomically so that the owners of property are rewarded and receive a better interest rate compared to a better rental rate compared to where interest rates will be. I guess the problem there is what capacity do renters have to pay more? I, I know I don't have that much more capacity to pay more. My, Me either. Um, neither. <laughs> See, let, let, let's dismiss that idea because I think all three of us at least, uh, <laughs> that's not going to work for us. So, yeah, if, if people can't afford to pay more rents then, then the other, the de- it's essentially the, the denominator that needs to change, which is the value of the asset itself needs to fall and so the effective yield on that asset or the rental return becomes more like 4%. Um, and, and so in very simple terms, like the prices need to fall and so the asset is, is earning a, a decent yield. Um, it's hard to imagine why that wouldn't happen in property, but it's happened in every other asset class in Australia and around the world. And so it, it may be a bit of a slow moving beast, but I, I think it's hard to imagine a world where interest rates are at 4% in 12 or 18 months time, um, but property prices um, are still where they are unless rents rise a lot. 
I think all the signs are pointing towards some repricing of the, of the property market. You know, I was about to say long overdue, but the run up in prices was so extreme and so quick from the start of the pandemic to now that, you know, a, a bit of an unwind now, even if it is very fast, wouldn't be crazy to sort of put us back to where we were just pre-pandemic. Well, yeah, and I think people miss that. that The prices rose something like 30% from the 2020 lows, you know, across Australia. And so falling by 25% just takes you back to where you were two years ago. Forget about the last 30 years of incredible growth. And, And I think that's the kind of longer term question is, if we've been in a structural downtrend for interest rates and that's been supporting property prices like it has bonds and other asset classes for the last 30 years, if that turns around now and you know, yes, interest rates might be 4% next year, but what if they're 6% and 8% and 12%? Um, It's difficult to see, um, you know, property prices rising at the same rate or even rising at all in that environment because cash is a much more valuable asset when you can earn 10% relative to a property that's only giving you a 2% yield. Chris, we're heading into the weekend. We just want to leave our listeners with something to reassure (laughs) them and so they don't spend all weekend, you know, reading the papers and panicking. You had some reassuring words about looking at this as a a long-term investment and preparing for, you know, a a financial situation which carries you through life rather than through the next week or the next two weeks. What can you tell our viewers before they go away, how they should be thinking about their, their financial investments? Well, I mean, I think it's the same advice for people with super or non-super investments, which is if, if you look at the best investors, um, and, and there's been various studies in, into who are the best performers. Um, you know, my favorite, I think, was a Fidelity study in the US that looked at their online brokerage accounts and who did best. The people with the best returns were the people that lost their passwords or who died. So basically, the people that actually couldn't make any changes to their portfolios were the people that did the best. And so while it's extremely tempting to, you know, see those scary headlines, you know, share market bloodbath, $100 billion lost and act, the worst thing you could do is actually act. And as long as you're well diversified, so you've got money spread across different places, as long as you're not paying your advisor a high fee or paying a lot of brokerage, then the best thing you can do is throw your password in the bin and go and enjoy your life and not worry about it at all. Go and buy a lotto ticket, maybe. <laughs> um, get 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 rid of your password. Okay, I don't usually remember mine, so I think I'm quite safe from from that perspective. But um, it's good, good advice to us. Chris, thank you so much. Thanks so much for breaking it down for us, and um, also for just reminding us that it feels like a lot has happened in the last couple of weeks. But when we take a longer term perspective, that's uh, probably just a little bump in the road. Exactly. Guys, for having me on. And thank you, Gemma, for joining us. Uh, a big one today. Yes, indeed. Well, it's been a big week and we just uh, had a lot of, lot of questions from viewers about are we heading to a recession? What does it actually mean? What does it mean for my savings? What does it mean for my super? What does it mean for my house? So uh, hopefully we've cleared a little bit of that up. And um, yeah, I think we all forget that around uh, when the pandemic really kicked off in March 2020, we had those huge share market falls that Chris just reminded us of. That rebounded really quickly and it just seems like a blip now. We can hardly even remember when it happened. Absolutely. Well, if you want to save more money, don't forget, of course, our Tight Us Tuesday episodes dropping every Tuesday, helping you to save some money. And of course, Gemma has all the latest in finance news weeknights at six on 7 News. And you can stay up to date with the latest business and money news at 7news.com.au as well. I'm Damien Huffinen and this has been Let's Get Fiscal, a 7 News podcast's production.